everyone uh, welcome back another episode of the moonlighters club uh wanted to introduce tom thanks, thanks for coming for thanks for having me joe thank oh no so thanks much. for coming uh it's uh it's been a whirlwind i've actually had the past like week like seven interviews eight interviews really uh, like a lot of, i met you at a networking event a lot came from that like allison from coffee cup collective yeah yeah the, the general assembly uh companies that were great yeah yeah, really yeah. Liked it was awesome so uh I, i'm glad you took the time to stop by and uh, I'm Joel Edwards, your host, and uh, we just jump right into it. So uh, we were talking for a while, and what I liked about, uh, and we'll definitely get into what Stride for Stride is, it's just one of the things Tom does, um, was the mission behind it. And I feel like when I was starting this podcast, interviewing people who were doing uh, entrepreneurial pursuits, the majority are for profit, which is fine, you know, like tech company or butcher shop, doesn't even matter. But I liked seeing anything that has some kind of a mission. We met Allison, who did Coffee Cup Collective, and she was super adamant about uh, helping the environment some way. She was yeah. like, I got to do something that like really puts a, my footprint in on that. So when I saw what you were doing with that, I'm like, cool, we definitely need to have more of this. So I'm really Thank happy you. that you're on the show. Thanks so much. So I guess we'll just start out with how you even got into industry anyway. What did you go to school for originally? I went to school for economics and political science. Nice. That's pretty, that's pretty like... Thorough. Yeah, it was like the <laughs> worst, worst dual major I could ever imagine. And then now I'm sort of like, and then I got into marketing and, and social media. So I have nothing to do with what I um, went to school for. What's the <laughs> like, what's that frame of thinking for something like that? Is it law? Is it when, when someone does those two? I think the frame of thinking was not knowing what the hell I wanted to do. <laughs> um, that, if that was sort of the boundary of like, do I go into finance, economics? Do I go into sort of law and politics? And I, I wound up going into finance right after college. Okay. So I don't know the, where the poli sci part came into. There was actually a good class that really looped us into his politics in the movie, movies. So we watched like Casablanca and On the Waterfront. So all these great yeah. movies. So I think that hooked me into this um, political major, which certainly wasn't me. But it's good for getting my blood boiling <laughs> the current political environment. <laughs> right. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, did you, well, like, was it fun going through it towards the end? Was it, did you start getting acclimated and you're like, oh, I can, you know, this is cool. Yeah, I don't, I, I was, I was actually never, it, it's in college. I actually never grasped because I, I think I was in totally the wrong major. Um, I went to Boston College and actually where the marketing advertising side, which I've always liked more, was in a totally different school. And my grades weren't good enough to get into that school, another oh, school within okay. the university. Okay. So I, I think I was sort of like, okay, this is what I have to just finish up on. So I never really got it. Okay. All right. It never clicked with me and yeah. it was never easy. Um, what are, uh, I feel like every major has a, like a stereotype about the people who are in the actual major, like all the kids who are super into accounting, like all my friends, I'm like, yeah, you're an accountant. Like I could just tell. Is Folly side like that? Are you like, you're the, you're well, like I agree about the accounting side. Uh, <laughs> they, they stand out. Uh, I have a few friends that are accountants um, and they come in very handy yeah. around yeah. You know, March or so. Everything. Yeah. Um, but they are certainly accountants. Um, Poli sci, I don't, the poly, the politic majors are, they're pretty gung ho into politics. They're always yeah. fascinating me. Um, and it still fascinates me. A lot of people I know that work in the uh, state house and uh, uh, in city hall that are just gung ho local politics or state politics. So is that sort of really passionate? I think, I think it's, it's, some of them are, you know, super passionate about serving their their community and yeah. making a difference. Um, so it's it, 
those the politician side are interesting until you get up to some of the electric officials. And then yeah, it's and a it's a whole other. It really thing, is megalomania. And that's it. What do you say? It, like uh, you get to this whole megalomania. Yeah, thing that's exactly what I was going to, yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah, it's yeah. Purely <laughs> ego at some point. So. Yeah, and I, and I think it's interesting that you say that. Like the older I get, the more I get into local politics. And you're absolutely right. I feel like everyone I meet who's like new or younger is like, okay, no, we really do need to change stuff. And that's why I like seeing local politics because you'll hear stories about someone building a park, like someone uh, like doing something with teachers, really like interesting, innovative stuff. Yeah. But then the sure. higher you get, there's just so much, there's so much red tape. Yeah. So many things happen behind the scenes. It's just, it's conjecture at that, at some point. I'm just yeah. like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Yeah, I so I can understand so, that. Yeah. I don't, so it was a wrong major. So when you get out, did you, you went right back to school to do finance? No, I actually worked. I went to, um, um, I actually did six months at Fidelity Investments. Okay. Uh, which as soon as I, Fidelity is a great company and I, uh, as a client or as a customer, like totally respect them, but, um, working there was way too rigid for me. I was yeah. like, this is not for me. It's too just buttoned up. And yeah. so I lasted, embarrassingly, I lasted six months there. Um, and then I moved to a company called Thompson Financial, first call back then, yeah. uh, which was much more like a star- startup atmosphere. Okay. Um, we had kegs on Friday, yeah. you know, basically shorts and t-shirt. Cool. So yeah. it was a much more cooler atmosphere for, uh, um, uh, for finance. And it was especially coming into that area, that era, that was 90, well, I don't know if I should admit my age here, but that was um, mid to early, mid to late 90s. So the yeah. internet was just starting to boom. To so we had all these internet startups taking off in Boston. In Boston, we had like, Lycos was here. Oh. I remember them. Yeah. Like one yeah. of the original search engines. CMGI, which was sort of this umbrella that um, owned all these different startups, including Lycos. Um, we had Ash Cheese was in Boston, which wow. was another start. Uh, I didn't know Boston was even into search I knew, engine. I didn't know Boston was really involved in that first stock on boom. I know it, there was a bunch of uh, tech companies, and a lot of them were based in Waltham, the 128 okay. corridor. So, which is totally different now. Yeah. Every company wants to be downtown Boston, but back then Waltham was like where it's at, and all these big companies. But we had a good presence here. Nice. So. We, the finance company I was with, it was sort of casual in that environment. Okay. And a lot of companies were losing people to the dot-com era like crazy, mm-hmm. especially at that time, people were making fortune. First off, any idea was throwing money. I had a, um, we had wired alumni back then and investors were just like trying to throw us money. And it was the worst, I- it, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> the worst idea, but it was the three of us just didn't get along. So, yeah. you know, choosing your partners wisely is very important for any any biz or any startup. Um, and the fact that investors were giving us money. It was a crazy time that no one knew what was going on. There was all this investor money yeah. going out there. And uh, it was crazy. It was fun. I mean, those are days like broadcast.com, like when Mark Cuban sold off to Yahoo yeah. and made his billions. That's insane. And, yeah. You know, and obviously, uh, um, Bezos got a start there and the Yahoo guys. Yeah. So, so when you're, wow, you're seeing all that, uh, at that point, did, was anything when you're seeing all this happen? You were saying you were working with these other uh, other partners. Yours while you're doing that, did some kind of entrepreneurial sense click where you? Because well, I felt like I, because I, I'm mid thirties now, I went back to school when Facebook was like mm-hmm. blowing up. So the, I definitely got caught up in that, yeah, like whole sure. thing. Was it the same, not just for you, but for really just the environment of the city? Could you see people going, no, we can do this. Like, yeah. we can come up with a website. Oh, those crazy ideas. Yeah. And basically, it was oh, a website. I mean, you could come up. There was a great e-toy. I, I think it was, e- no, it was an e-trade commercial. Um, and you could probably Google it. It's um, 
investors in a room and the kids are like, yeah, we have a website. You know, like, you have a website. Here's a million dollars. And it really was that <laughs> just stupidity of going on at the time. But me working in finance, that's when I started moonlighting. I'm like, I don't finance is not for me. I never really got in college, but this stuff going on, on the Internet is really cool. Yeah. And that's what I want to be a part of. So I actually tried to get a job. I like Lycos and Ask Jeeves and all these companies that were big back then, which are kind of laughing now. But uh, and they're all like, dude, no, you're just a finance guy. We don't want you. So I couldn't get into the field. Wow. And I don't blame him because yeah. I was this finance guy from Boston College is about as, you know, as just boring as you get. Yeah. Unless I was an accountant from Boston College. <laughs> yeah. um, sorry. Accountants. Yeah. Um, and um, so I'm like, all right, fine. I'm going to create my own thing. So yeah. we created this alumni community, alumni network called a Wired Alumni that was uh, 99, I think it was, and uh, to, to build these communities for all the colleges in Boston. And actually, it grew really, really fast. It was crazy. But that's what got me, you know, my first taste yeah. of a little addiction to going off on my own. Okay. And within um, uh, two years of after that, I was off on my own and never worked for anyone else since. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, you always work for someone. Right. But never in an office and never... Never for a big corporation again. You work for your clients, obviously. But what, what? So okay. What was? What was in your? What's going on in your mind when you're like, I'm out? Did you know you were never going back? Or okay. were oh you- no, God no, no. That was um, I think the first day of '03, January okay. like third. The okay. reason I did that is so I have like another month or so of insurance, health insurance to get me through. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then I did unemployment too, which got me. So I asked the company to please lay me off. I was begging. <laughs> so I actually got employed, unemployed for nine months, which was a great way to get my runway and started. Um, I remember the first time leaving the safety of a big company, just, you know, this blanket that's on you and protects right. you, but it controls everything. And in the first week or so out there being like, oh my God, I don't know. Can I survive like this? Can I physically survive and not die on my own out and trying to hustle my own thing. And it was a really weird, it was a great, I mean, it's been a phenomenal experience, but it was this really weird experience of letting go of that safety blanket that I had for, that was seven years and just going out on my own and then seeing like, and then the second realization was like, wow, there's a lot of people that are on the streets during the day. Yeah, I thought it was a ghost town, but I'm like, you know, my naivety then realized, oh, people have, all different types of jobs. No yeah. one, not everyone works market hours. You know, there's there's service industry and there's all different types of industry. So it was really pretty cool. But that was very early on. You know, now Boston has this great um, uh, startup community, but there's a lot of like WeWork and uh, work mm-hmm. bar co-working spaces, mm-hmm. which didn't exist exist back then. So a lot of with me and a lot of other companies were totally working on their own. There was no collaboration, no interaction between these other okay. companies. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of. And so it's sort of like just sitting in my desk in my apartment and just doing data entry and, you know, all the behind the scenes work on these websites. Um, And not until later on did I think until social media, I think, and like Facebook a little bit, but I think Twitter even more. Um, did a lot of these different companies start to interact more and and have these co-working spaces, a mass challenge. And, uh, and then people realize, okay, we're not competitors. We can actually collaborate. We mm-hmm. have experienced failures just like, um, the other guy, maybe yeah. I can help you prevent getting to that failure again. Okay, cool. a lot of failures. I can certainly tell you what not to do. What? Yeah. So I'm glad you said that. What? When did you? When do you know it's over? You know what I mean? Like I feel like that's a tough thing for most entrepreneurs. Like they're 
including myself, being super scared that something's not going to work. Yeah. But it's like, at what point do you say, okay, I'm going to cut this off? Are you really good about that? Like, I know there's, I'll definitely try to squeeze everything out of something before it's too late. And we all have people in denial. Do you know when to spot, okay, this is cool now, but may hit some road bumps down the road or this is going to be bad. Let's just kind of like mitigate this. Um, no, I mean, you get emotionally attached to it. So it's tough to really let it go. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I have a company, Flutter now, which crowdsources money for charity uh, in addition to Strive for Stride. Um, and, you know, we started in 15, so that's four years old. Uh, we're shutting it down pretty soon, but we probably should have shut it down probably eight months or 12 months ago. Uh, we just, it's sort of like your baby. You put so much time into it and and it, it did raise, you know, we raised about $150,000 for charity from, okay. from the app. So we did good from it. Uh, so it's tough to let that, something like that go. So I'm, I, I get emotionally tied to things. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, what was your process of coming up with uh, flutter, right? Flutter. Uh, yeah. Right, what fluttery? What? Did I say it right? Flutter? Flutter. Like the, flutter. uh, heart palpitation. Like yeah. So what was that process like coming up with that specific entity? Did you see something out in the marketplace and you're like, or did you, did something catch your eye one day or was it something you were kind of, well, a few things. So one, I go to a good amount of charity events, big fundraisers like house of blues or, okay. um, I think Google dolls was playing at this particular conference. Nice, Irish. So yeah, yeah. Iris. And, I mean, they were at a good pop song. They were yeah, the yeah. best on stage to be honest, but they were at a good pop tune. Um, Iris and there's a, God, there's another song I love, but I can't picture it. Um, so obviously it was a big money event. So you had a lot of these guys and girls that were just holding up their paddle for $5,000, $10,000 donations. And, you know, there's no way in hell I can come close to that. So I leave feeling like a jerk. Like I didn't support the charity. Um, yeah, I could give you 10, 20, 30 bucks, but can't do $5,000. So I left that event being like, wow, I just really, I'm not contributing to whatsoever. I'm not this big money finance guy yeah. anymore. Um, so that started the realization, uh, sort of the, 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 of me creating Flutter. But then Omaze, I, I discovered Omaze. I don't know if you know Omaze. No. Omaze, um, they're huge. They give away, they started off with giving away experiences with like George Clooney, go out to dinner with him, um, blow stuff up at Arnold Schwarzenegger, which actually was a real one. <laughs> and you donate 10, 20, $30 uh, to a charity okay. for the chance to experience this. Now they give away, they give away, they're giving away McLarens and Teslas and houses. Like um, they're, they're really, really big and they raise a ton of money for charity. Good. Yeah. So I was looking at Maze. I'm like, I love this concept. I love that it's an easy donation to get into, but it's like all these big charities and I don't care about going to dinner with Clooney. Right. And it's for American Heart Association, which is a great association, but it's a huge charity. So I'm like, let's just pull that, scale that really back, hyper local. Let's do something like ride in a hood blimp over Fenway Park, which only people in Boston would love to do. And let's raise money for Rosie's Place, okay. know, which is a women's homeless shelter here in, on Newberry Street. And just hyper local and make it $10. We capped everything at 10 unlike Amaze, uh, to give everyone an equal chance of winning. So we didn't want the guy that had $10,000 to be able to buy a thousand chances and sort of have the unfair advantage over someone I can only afford $10. Um, so that's how the, so those two came together, me at the fundraiser, realizing that I can't contribute. And then um, the idea of a maze. So the idea was, you know, if we get a thousand people to donate $10, uh, that's better than one guy donating $10,000. Yeah. Is my math correct there? Yeah. 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 I always screw up that math. Um, so that's, that's how a maze started and we or that's how flutter started. And we had some really great stuff. We gave away a year of free rent, uh, in 2016 in Cambridge, nice. which is obviously like 40, $50,000 yeah. prize. 
uh, that benefited Y2Y Harvard Square, which is a youth homeless shelter in uh, Harvard Square, yeah. the only student-run homeless shelter in, in the country. And um, so it had a great run. Yeah. But then actually, you know, one, getting free rents, like getting these prizes is actually quite challenging. Yeah. And then, you know, sort of we were sort of doing the same prizes and the interest and started waning off. So, yeah. so we are closing out. We're actually going to pull some of the pieces from it and build, I think, software for charities to use. Ah, so cool. so yeah. I'm taking a lot of what I really like from Flutter and using it for uh, for Stride for Stride yeah. for my fundraising. You know, the, the raffle part of it was really easy and great. And, it's, you know, people donate 10 bucks and it automatically picks one winner. So Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you say that because I, I remember going to an event at the Boston Center for the Arts. It was for a camp. Um, I can't remember the name of the camp. It was for local kids. Um, on one of the islands? Ah, could be. There, I could can't be. remember. It was a great camp on one of the islands. Yeah. Great and, camp. And they there are people there and they're going through uh, uh, t- people telling these heartfelt stories about why the camp's important to them. People who had been there, gone through Boston public schools. And it was it was it was weird because it was super disheartening because people were kind of listening, but not really because you had all these catered meals from these great chefs and free drinks. So they're like talking. No one's really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time to to donate, they raised their money like this, right? You have all these corporate people, finance folks to pay. And, and I'm like, okay, that's great that they got the money that they needed. But I I also like what you what you did there because it's about the engagement too. Yeah. Like if I give, if I can just throw away whatever amount of money to something just because I have it and that's it, I don't ever think about it. Yeah, that's helpful. But I feel like if I put money into something and I know, oh, man, this is our homeless shelter in Harvard, and I could like pen that and I could do something with that. Or there's all the other local initiatives that I could really get behind. And not just me, but like 20 people instead of just Joel writing a check. I feel like that creates so much more of a ripple effect. Oh, for sure. We um we got 9,000 people to donate to charity from uh, Flutter. So we raised 150,000. So the dollar amount was okay. People obviously donated more than once and different things. Um, but I feel like the 9,000 people that we got involved is awesome. Yeah. Like that is huge. And that just gives you, you know, when you donate, when you give or you help someone out, it's a great feeling. And, and a lot of those people, I think, first time donating. And if they help them to support another charity or do more beyond that, that's awesome. Then we did our we did our job, even Definitely. if the company failed. So yeah. um, I totally agree. I And charities... A lot of charities now are trying to get with the younger generation, millennials. You go to a lot of these fundraising events. They tend to be fairly older mm-hmm. um, and they want the numbers. So they are they agree that if, you know, you get 100 millennials that donate just $10, they're all for that, too. Uh, because over time, you know, you're hopefully your income increases and you can contribute and support them more. Nice. How many people were working together on uh, Flutter? Oh, uh, it's that was Steve and I. Just two people. Yeah. Okay, cool. Steve yeah. is a Steve's a buddy of mine that we've built a lot of projects over the last eleven years. We built a lot of applications for Twitter when Twitter was early on. Uh, him and I totally worked together. We've never received one dollar in, in financing, so it's all been total bootstrapped. Yeah. Yeah. He has four kids under the age of six, and he works a full time job at Hill Holiday, so he's a great moonlighter. Yeah, it's, um, it's crushing it. <laughs> yeah, but. You know, my dream developer is someone who has no social life, no friends, yeah, and yeah. doesn't want to do anything other than develop. Because <laughs> I'm not a developer, so um, you know, it, yeah. his time is certainly tight. So. Yeah, I hear that. So, with, did you both come up with Strive for Stride at the same time too? Matter of fact, you should probably explain Strive for Stride. No, jumping right into it. Yeah, so Strive for Stride, um, Strive for Stride is a charity. So it's actually the first nonprofit organization I created. Uh, we basically just buy race bibs for low income runners. 
Okay. Um, I'm an avid runner and I've run a lot of races. And from that one, I know um, races are quite expensive. I have trouble paying for all the races I want to run and races yeah. are pretty homogenous. I mean, they're pretty white for the most part. Yeah. Um, so the goal of it is to get more diversity in races and get people that can't afford to get to the starting line. Uh, Boston Marathon is $350 to run. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of guys on our team are, most of our guys are immigrants from Central America and, you know, making minimum wage. There is no way they can spend a month's salary or a couple weeks salary on a race. Um, so we sponsored them. We buy their bibs and, uh, uh, we probably have one guy running Boston next year, but we got three guys running Bay state marathon in the yeah. fall. One's running Marine Corps. And, and we know about running there's, we have two guys that are sub three hour marathoners, which is ridiculously yeah, fast. It's really good. So these are great, great runners yeah. that just couldn't afford to compete. So we just buy their bibs and it's been, a, it's been the best thing I've ever done. That's crazy that you say that. Cause I don't, that's something I would never think about. I would never look at marathons or 5ks or anything like oh there's people who want to be in this who aren't in this i always look at it like no these are the people who like to run long distance or things like yeah, that i didn't know diversity was a thing within you know what i mean like yeah I just, well it's part of my, but when i started it was like maybe i'm wrong maybe this is the only people that actually want to run right maybe there's no right. one else um you know and it took two or three months we got this guy ned was our first runner is awesome really good runner um who was formerly homeless and you know he's uh, got his life back and he's, you know, he's about a 130 half marathoner, which is another great timer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for a while, it's like, maybe there's just not this out there. And then we, we got connected, this guy, Strato, that I run with, um, we got connected with um, his fellow immigrant community. And then from him, all these great runners, um, he started connecting us to that want to run these races, but yeah. just can't afford to do it. And I've been running all along on their own. But just never joined a race. That's crazy. It's 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 so interesting how relative those barriers to entry are. Mm -hmm. Like, like you don't you think you don't have privileges in certain areas. Like I hear three hundred, and I'm like, yeah, that's a chunk. That's definitely a chunk, but an attainable chunk for me, right? Yeah. And it's just crazy that no nah, man, like just lowering that or not having that would drastically tr like change the playing field. And very and like I feel the same way about business. Like you have all these people with ideas for all kinds of neat, innovative concepts, and they either can't get the resources that they have or don't really know how to find those resources. But once they become available, everything shifts. And it's better for everyone. Oh, like yeah. that's the thing about it. Like it's better if more people run from various places. That means you get more eyes and more participation. And that's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite local charities, which I don't think is around anymore, was Experience Fund. And they basically just paid people to do no um to do um free internships. So mm. there's a lot of internships yeah. that are actually, I think there was a news article last night. A lot of the U.S. politics and Congress are free internships. And there's tons of people that can't afford to spend Man. 40 hours a week for free. So this experience fund paid them a salary to do an internship that they wanted ah, to give everyone an opportunity. Yeah, it was yeah, awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think they were able to raise enough money for their cause. But I think it's a, and I think there's other causes out there to do similar stuff. But it's perfect. I mean, that levels a playing field. So it's unfair why should the rich kid be able to afford this internship with, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, but yeah. someone else that's maybe more qualified, but financial can't do it, yeah. you know, can't afford to do that internship. So we're Stride for Stride. It's pretty similar. We're yeah. just using sport. So what's the normal day to day for something like Stride for Stride? Because I'm only familiar with, if not, uh, if not a for-profit entity, what is, it's not a nonprofit, but there are for-profit social entities you can make the name 403b i can't remember but it escapes me 
So actually running a charity, what goes into that besides like, I, I really have no idea. <laughs> um, the 501c3 is our problem. 403b okay. is actually what I was at Fidelity. I was a 403b rep. Ah, okay. Which is their okay. retirement account for like um, probably charities, but also uh, hospitals okay. and, and education, uh, okay. university, stuff like that. Um, so but, it's something. I, I literally just pulled that out. Yeah. Of the <laughs> that, brings, that brings back some some total nightmares. I actually, I hate an answer that phone. Um, charities are actually so I've started about five or six corporations, LLCs, and stuff. Okay. Those are really easy. I mean, you can start those tomorrow. Um, charities are much more difficult to start. Mm. So they cost about the same, maybe fifteen hundred bucks or so. Um, I use legal Zoom often, but. I'm sure you can pay a lawyer a lot more if you want to. Um, but all the, the filing fees are about the same or so, you know, they're, they're included in that 1500 bucks, but um, there's a ton of paperwork to do. Mm. Um, then you got to submit it to the IRS and then you got to wait about eight or nine months uh, for them to respond back. And we're still in that process now. And then they need more information. I just faxed them uh, information a couple of days ago and faxing. I've been faxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a complicated process. And I think rightfully so to make sure people aren't swindling others out, you know, yeah. it's, it's, um, and, and to be, make sure they're legit. Um, but it, it is, it's, so this was my first charity that I've created and, uh, it is, it was an eye opener how much more of a challenge it was to create. And then when it comes to like maintaining it, is there, I'm assuming there's a ton of checks and balances in that too. Yeah, you do. Um, you have board of directors, uh, okay. which, are, which are, uh, public companies do too, or, or LLCs, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, and your board of directors meetings every month and um, you just go through, you know, we're so small. So here's what we brought in, here's what we spent and here's our, you know, sales and all that stuff and just sort of you keep everything in line. What's that experience been like? Uh, how long have you been doing Strike for Strike? Strike started in, uh, excuse me, November 28th, 2018. So how's, not a year. Oh. Under a, a year. How was it received when it, first, uh, when it first came out? Like, well, I remember hearing about it at uh, the network. And I was like, I never even thought of it. It was, uh, it, it's, you put things out there and it's, it, it's I, it, when you put something out, you always, one, you think it's the best idea you ever had, which right. you should, because yeah. if you don't believe in it, no one else will. Um, but then you get really nervous and like, oh, now's the time you know, no one shows up for the party and no yeah. one likes it. Um, the response from day one was really awesome. It was really great, but it also depends on who. So if you tell like someone that doesn't run, this is what we do. And they're like, Oh, that's stupid. Um, but if you tell a runner, someone runs the royal races, uh, they find it's like the best idea in the world. I, I've just been humbled by, by how much people really, really believe in the mission that we do and, yeah. uh, and support. And the nice thing about Stry, you know, all our runners, we all run the same races together. So before and after the races, we're all there for hanging out and photos and chatting and stuff. And it's become this really great community uh, of our the runners that we sponsor, but also people that support us. So the people that support us by donating, um, they get to run with our runners and, and get to meet them and know them personally and, and see how they affect them. Um, you know, a couple of our guys have told us, the money they save on shoes and the money they save on uh, running races goes home to their family in Guatemala and uh, in other Central American countries, which nice. is huge. So you're, you know, you're creating their life better here, but also making the life of their son and family much better in a, you know, in a, in a country like Guatemala. So how do you, how do you find the runners? Like if you're, do you have to, it's like some kind of pool thing and. No, it's actually, 
Ned was a collaboration with Back on My Feet. Back on My Feet. Do you know Back on My Feet? I think I've heard of them, yes. They they help uh, people transition out of homelessness via running. So the, the whole goal is if you can commit to running three days a week at 6 a.m., which yeah. is something I can't do. No, I can't get up at 6 no. a.m. <laughs> uh, then, you're, then you're on your way to <laughs> committing to you know a job and yeah. showing up on time and having responsibilities. And um, so Ned was our first runner from Back on My Feet. Uh, the second runner, Estrardo, was a guy I used to run with, train over the winter. I, I run Boston every year, and I train over the winter. And he's a guy I used to run with, and I knew that he was from Guatemala. And I, you know, I was always like, oh, I never said it to him. I was like, I was always curious, like how he affords all these races and stuff. Um, and then he learned about Strive for Stride, and he's like, Would you ever sponsor me? And I'm like, Of course, yeah, you're the one I wanted. Um, and everyone else has been from him. So he's just, he's spread it word of mouth. Ah. So he brought in a couple other people. Joshua brought in, uh, we have two runners from Miami, our people that he grew up with. He's from uh, Nicaragua and there are two friends of his that he grew up living in Miami. One girl is running a 245 marathon. And uh, so it spread from them. So it's been totally great. It's, uh, I'm always looking for runners. I'm always looking for sure. Uh, But they've certainly helped spread it. Nice. So, so how do you split your time between, I know that you're getting ready to pivot Flutter, but between the two, it sounds like there's just a lot of passion behind both of these. How do you know one day I'm going to do this, one day I'm going to do that? Do you kind of just wake up and see how the day takes you? Yeah. Or do you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wake yeah. up, see how the day takes me. Yeah. I mean, my day job is a thing called Boston Tweet, Okay. Uh, which has been a social media platform since November 08. So 11 years on Twitter. What goes into Boston Tweet? Which um, 11 years on Twitter, you you sort of yeah. want to jump off a bridge at times. <laughs> <laughs> Especially I, these days, there's like a lot of hot stuff flying on. How do you even manage media. that? Like I'm awful Twitter related. Like we are doing everything we can to kind of get it. The whole rhythm of it is is hard for yeah. me. Like I, can, I think I had trouble probably when I first started. Now it's like, now it's normal. I mean, you do something every day for 11 years. Obviously, you, you kind of get in a groove of it. Um you know, Boston Tweet started in November 08. It was a way to create awareness for local business during a recession. Um, mm-hmm. Recession just had started. You know, me as a single guy back then, um, my biggest fear was there would be no girls at bars. So I wanted to make sure that people were still aware that Eastern Standard and Public House were there. So yeah. started tweeting about local businesses and hopefully that people were still going out. Boston has a really diverse economy, so it never really got that hit or at least the main part here. Um, but uh, so it was just keeping aware of things are going on in the city and sort of reporting that news back via Twitter as a platform. And I chose Twitter as I wanted to build something with my buddy, Steve. Um, but I had lost all my money because the economy crashed and beginning yeah. of a week, I had two startups that within like a week were automatically, I mean, that's an example of these things are going great, great, great. Yeah. You know, markets crash. Wow. These are useless like overnight. So, you know, I wasted all my money there. So I'm like, all right, I'll have to use this Twitter thing to be the platform to spread out this information. Yeah. Um, and that grew really, really, really fast. With it by January, two months later, you know, we had a couple thousand followers, which at that time was a lot. Yeah. Um, and just sort of just focusing on Boston, single in the city in Boston. And, and a lot of it was cheap eats. So I had a lot of college students follow me because at that time, you know, a burrito for four bucks was the main source of yeah. main source of food. <laughs> yeah. And just talking, um, you know, places to get cheap eats. So obviously young college kids yeah. and people struggling uh, latched onto it. Nice. And now those college kids are like in their 30s, which blows me away. How much planning goes into that? Like I just like, are you 
when it comes to social media, or do you need to take a step back, kind of project plan it, and go, okay, we're gonna boom, boom, hit it all like this for the next couple of months? Or are you yeah, a couple no. weeks? Like what? what? Uh, a couple of days at most. Yeah, it's because things come so fast on Twitter, and Twitter part of what Boston Tree Trader does is keep up to like the news and stuff happening in the city. Not every news, but the something that's going to affect everyone and mostly a little more on the positive side. I'm not like the evening news that gets every car crash, but, um, uh, on the positive side and, and that stuff comes in so fast Yeah, and it happens at the moment or happens when you're walking down the street and something you see. Um, so, I mean, like a couple of days ago, walking through the canals in, in Charlestown, tons of plastic bottles. I'm pretty big environmentalist and really against plastic bottles, but there's probably like, 30 or so plastic bottles in this pool of water in, in the river there and a couple of dead fish. And, you know, that was like, okay, this is something I see in post Yeah, out. that's a, uh, what was it? I, I don't know if it was that, but also about the Charles, there were just fish showing up. Yeah, yeah. well, Universal Hub, who's an, another great resource, he published some stuff. There was a lot of dead fish yeah. in the locks. So the locks connects Charles River with the uh, with the harbor. Okay. Um, And to keep the um, traffic and the water levels constant. But um there was probably hundreds of fish that were dead in the locks there. And that most of that was because of uh, there's an algae problem in the, mm. in the river. Yep. And so the oxygen within the water is um, so decreased. Right. Yeah. So a lot of these fish have died, uh, which is super sad. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of them out there. Uh, but the week before was all the plastic bottles that I saw. Yeah. So a lot of it is just reporting in that news as you see it. Yeah. You know, now, with, I mean, now we all know what cell phones are. But back in 08. Yeah. I think I had a Motorola flip phone, to be honest. Um, but uh, early on when the iPhone came out, I think in 09 or so, you know, it was citizen journalists. We all could report of what we saw at that right. moment. And that was really new back then. And Twitter was the platform. Like Boston Marathon bombing, you know, someone yeah. someone experienced yeah. it on Twitter and published a Twitter before anything else. And, you know, everyone on the street isn't able to be uh, – report what's happening at that moment. And at, at some point it can be massive. So, you know, that's sort of how Boston Tweet got started. And uh, Especially now, man, the Boston is growing, the population's growing so rapidly. We have all these things going on from the MBTA alone could do like, <laughs> like literally give you yeah. well, in the early days, days of content. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> in the early days, I, I did a lot with the MBTA of like trying to stay up on all the delays and stuff. Yeah. One, it becomes such a challenge to try and do, but that provides constant entertainment for sure i mean nice. people love to hate the mbta so yeah. this year's been bad i mean it's it's been awful and fares went up i mean there's you know it, it's been really bad it's so bone yeah but i do like to see people from like the stuff you're doing universal hub anyone just talking about stuff it's like yes i love to see anyone people taking ownership of it because it's like I, but when i was younger maybe it's an age thing when i'm younger i'm just like whatever this is broken someone else is gonna deal with it but now i just feel so much so much more empowered because of technology yeah. that I could say, okay, I can at someone about this or I can see this person's yeah. tweeting about this with all these followers. That's awesome. Yeah. Other people are talking about this. Now I can talk about this too. It's yeah. You cool. can, you can directly send a note to Bill Gates or Barack Obama. You know, you might not see it or, or reply, but there's a chance that he can. Yeah. Like I remember when I started with Twitter as a musician, I really liked and um, I sent him a tweet and we started a conversation privately. I was like, wow, this Twitter thing is amazing. Yeah. At the time I had more followers than him. So he was sort of, you know, kind of using me, I think, for his Boston show. But um, I was like, this is really, really cool. There's yeah. there's no barriers now to be able to communicate. Um, that's always been, you know, the, the greatest thing about it. Nice. I mean, 
I've always said the greatest thing about Twitter is a not constant flow of information. You always know what's going on. Yeah. And the worst thing about Twitter is it's a constant flow of information. <laughs> like you always know what's going on and you need to, you need to unplug for a while and take breaks. I, yep. I usually have, you know, at least a couple of times a year a cleansing, yep. like for a week or so, twice a year, a cleanse and just get off of, I actually did that last year. I went to um, California for two weeks and, Basically, didn't have my phone on me at all times. Awesome. Read a bunch of books. Read a book by um, uh, the founder of Tom's, uh, Blake Meisky, which is Start Something That Matters. Yeah. And uh, really changed. I mean, that's what Stride for Stride came from. Really just uh, opened my eyes and said, yeah, you know what? Stop trying to create apps that, you know, are dating apps or trying to get you laid or whatever it might be. Like, start something that's really going to make a difference. And uh, I've read that book like four or five times now because it's so inspiring. But nice. that's how Stride for Stride came about and just yeah. this sort of this social media detox that I was on. And uh, Nice. Well, you have a lot going on, which could – any one of these could go in any variety of directions. And you can come up with something new too. If you could have one goal or a milestone for, let's say, Stride for Stride in the next year or so, what would that be? Are you looking at something in particular or? Um, obviously to create, I mean, Stride for Stride is something I want to do for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Nice. Or God willing, how long I'm around. Um, it's really been to see how people's, how it affects people and it gets people running and, and changes their lives. And, you know, we're not curing cancer. We're not solving home, uh, homelessness or starvation, um, but we're giving people something to look forward to and a, and a challenge to overcome. Um you know, we have nine runners now that we sponsor on a regular basis that are probably each running maybe eight or nine races this year. Cool. Uh, we'd love to double that. Okay. Love to double the fundraising. We'd love to um, and be able to support like 20 runners. Nice. Um, All right. Yeah. That, nice. That's, that's yeah. sort of our short-term goal to really just build up that community. The nice part is it has grown somewhat slowly. My, another concern was you get like 100 runners that want bibs all of a sudden. Um and thankfully, it wasn't like that. So okay. it's been growing, you know, a couple of months or so. Um, but if we could double those runners, it would be great. Cool. So hopefully we can do that. If you can share with everyone watching and listening how we can follow you, share what website we should go to to support. Yeah, Strive for Stride. Strideforstride.com is the uh, the website. And um, a lot of our donations come from we sell singlets. Actually, I don't have it on. Um, we, have this, we have this equal sign, red logo. And it's all about creating equal opportunity. And it's meant to be just stand out when running races. You know, it's a very bold, loud logo that doesn't have a running guy on it. So it's very unique. Uh, and the point is just to get people's heads turning. But striveforstride.com is that. We're on Instagram. Actually, if you want to meet our runners, they're all, um, all of them are featured on our Instagram account, which is at striveforstride underscore. Unfortunately, I have that underscore, but at striveforstride underscore. And uh, a lot of our guys and girls are you know, are featured on our pages there. So nice. This has been fun. Yeah. It's been cool. awesome. Job. This is great. This yeah. is great. I, I, I'm always for, that's need more mission. You need more missions in your life. Like I, like I'm even like doing this podcast, I like helping others reach things, but now like I'm just all about, okay, man, what can I do personally uh, about homelessness? What can I personally do about the, the environment? Just stuff that's right in front of my face. Yeah. It's like, I'm not, I can't leave this place without leaving some kind of a mark on it. So I, I think we all underestimate the amount we can do. And just, I agree. You know what I mean? One of the nice things, like Flutter, if you have another minute, like oh, yeah. um, my my background was like internet startups. And, um, you know, even like seven, eight years ago, I created this thing called Dallin Balsam, which is about promoting internet startups. And then part of it was like, oh, all these startups are started doing the same thing. They're all trying to make 
themselves really rich sort of thing and not not doing good. Um, but I started Flutter, which was all about crowdsourcing for local charities. And I got to know hundreds. I think we had about 300 charities in our database. We got to realize, discover all these new charities, but something like Experience Fund, which I mentioned earlier, um, they were not, they were just as entrepreneurial as the internet startups. Mm. They just had a different mission. Like, you know, yeah. they just, they had the same drive and passion behind that. Um, you know, but the ends, the end game wasn't to sell it to Amazon for a lot of money. Yeah. It was to make a difference in someone's lives. And that really helped me realize like, okay, you know, it's time to stop creating stupid apps and st- create something that really makes a difference in someone's lives or, or your life, even if it's just one person, yeah. you know, um, or if it helps the environment or helps, you know, the homeless or poor, or, you know, that someone that just doesn't have and start off on the same starting line. Like, yeah. um, there's a, it's, I, I think there's going to be a lot more of them. I feel I like, too. I feel like yeah. the apps and sort of the silly apps are starting to wane away and the yeah. startups and I feel social impact is making a much bigger impact. And yeah. we have, there's a lot of stuff that needs help with. And then, you know, I think people are starting to realize that. Nice. Well, that was awesome. I appreciate that sentiment. Uh, it's everyone who's listening, watching, you could be that person too. We can all do a little something. Oh yeah. It's, uh, you just got to put it out there and start something that matters. Blake McCoskey, I highly recommend it for being motivated on starting something that really makes a difference. Nice. It's a great book. It's a very easy read. So Awesome. Well, if you want more of these, moonlightersclub.com. That's our website. We put all our content out. Um, as you all know, our podcast is on every major podcast network. Also, we are always looking for more individuals like Tom so we can hear more stories. So please reach out to us if you know anyone or you yourself want to share your story by following your passion. So uh, until next time, we'll see you all later. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. Thank you.